I've loved our series over the past couple of months, Storm Chasers, but I'm excited about getting back to some preaching today. It's been a while since I've had opportunity to, you know, have a whole time. So I'm looking forward to that. There is a, uh, there's a monster loose in our land today. Not everybody knows it. He disguises himself. He invades homes. He's tearing through marriages. He's dividing families. And he's setting our nation on edge. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's kind of a low boil that just exists in our land today. It's, there's, this, uh, there's this sense of tension and unrest. And it seems to be everywhere. And it seems as though people are just waiting to be offended. Someone's waiting to not get their way so that they can just explode on somebody, that they can just lash out. It seems that in our country today, there's this a spirit of just truly just seeing red. You know, that's what, you, that's what they call it when someone's filled with anger. They just, they see red. Everywhere they look, they're looking for opportunity to just get angry with somebody, to spill over in some kind of profanity or act out of this anger that's in them. It's a culture that sees red. You can turn on the TV today, and you see daytime TV dominated by the court shows, filled with people who are angry. They want their way. They want their rights. They want their money. Communities filled with people angry, angry about the government, angry about politics. Our streets are filled with people protesting, picketing, demanding what they believe is right. They're angry. You go to Little League ball games. You'll find some kids playing ball. You'll find some parents ready to jump on somebody if something doesn't go like they thought. You don't have to drive down the highway very far to find somebody who's willing to be mad at you or you be mad at them because they cut you off. We find students dying in the classroom today because somebody is acting out of their anger. Anger today affects our culture. But anger and seeing red also affects our physical condition. Did you know that there are physical conditions today that doctors say are rooted in anger? Now, you just consider some of these. Heart disease, obesity, migraines, drug and alcohol addiction, depression, heart attacks, high blood pressure, strokes, anxiety, insomnia, mental confusion, and weakened immune systems. They are all potential byproducts of someone who is not able to control their anger. In their body, they have released chemicals because of their anger that causes health issues. And this seeing red all starts in a very deep place. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a thought. It's something that happens deep in the hearts of people. And I'm grateful that we, the church, have been giving, given the, the answer to heart issues. Amen? Let me, let me kind of start us with a point here. 
that we're going to follow up on throughout our entire series here. Anger awakens when we face what we perceive to be a wrong, right? It's true for everybody, whether you're a believer or not, whether you're young or whether you're old. You don't have to teach a two-year-old how to be angry. You let another two-year-old come up and take their toy from them, and they'll show you they know how to be angry, right? Because what's happened is they just experienced something of a wrong that happened that they perceived to be a wrong. It's not right that they took my toy, and they become angry. And you might think, oh, those children, they're so childish. And so are we adults, because we operate on the very same principle. When something happens to us that we perceive to be a wrong, whether it's someone who's taken advantage of you, someone who's cheated you, someone who's offended you, someone who hasn't treated you as you thought you should have been treated, you then experience a moment where you say, it's not fair, this isn't right, and anger awakens in that moment. Anger comes out of a moment when you think, this is not fair. They could be huge issues. Maybe you've been cheated out of a lot of money. It's a wrong that happened to you. Maybe you were hurt deeply by someone you once trusted. A wrong happened to you. They could be big issues, and they can sometimes be minor, silly issues, and people lose their minds when they get angry. Is it a blue and black dress or a white and gold dress, right? He's like, you've got to be kidding me. You see that is black and blue? Yeah, that happened in our living room. So I understand. I get it. It's a perceived wrong. Are you crazy? You can't see that that way. And when we get angry like that, it's crazy the things that we'll do. We act out all of a sudden. We say things we would never have said before. We do things we would have never done before. I saw a commercial recently that just illustrates this. It's kind of silly. It's a, hurt, it's a, a Snickers commercial right? So I want you to watch this Snickers commercial about a guy who says the word almonds wrong. I said wrong, right? Watch what he does. Watch this. You ever had a Snickers almond? I love almonds. You like almonds? I like almonds. Yeah, everybody loves almonds. Everything's almond now. You know what I love most about almonds? Everything about almonds. My girlfriend's got almond hand soap. I told you, people do crazy things when they get angry. And sometimes over the silliest things, right? The guy couldn't stand it that he couldn't say the word almonds right. How many can agree with that, right? Almonds. Uh Uh-oh, that means there's a lot of almonds in the room too, right? Almonds. Well, we won't talk about that anymore then, so... Yeah. The Bible says that anger is something that's born deep in the heart. In fact, there's a reference in the book of Ephesians that says that those who do not know Christ, those who are still far from experiencing the gospel, they are referred to as children of wrath. The world today are under wrath. They are living under guilt, and therefore they act out of that. But it's not just people who don't know Christ. It happens within the church as well. We don't always know how to deal with our anger. Maybe it's a young mother who begins her day and she says, all right, I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend time with God today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen to some music. And she does. 
But she begins her day, and it isn't long before the number of children that she has, you know, she's, she's put them in one room, and she's gone off to clean another. But by the time she comes out of that room to deal with some other thing going on, they've made their way into that room, and it's no longer clean, right? Moms, can you relate? You can't seem to get enough laundry done. You can't seem to get the house clean enough. You can't seem to find a way to get all the bills done. And then the husband comes home. And the first thing he wants to do is just get in the recliner and shut his eyes. Right, ladies? <laughs> it's okay to say amen. And in that moment, she is done. She was done before he came home, but she's doubly done now. She's done at her day. She's done at him, and she's done with her own response. She's thinking, what is going on with my life? How come I can't get a hold on this? How come things aren't changing? And all she does is see red. Maybe it's a dad. He's worked hard to provide for his family. He's been attending a men's group lately to try to talk with some other men, understand issues that are going on in his life. And he's shared some and he's worked through some things, but he's still in the process. And it seems he can't ever work enough to cover all the bills. He's frustrated by the problems going on at home. He wants to repair the lawnmower because he really doesn't want to spend a lot more money on it, can't afford to buy a new one. So he goes out to work on the lawnmower and it just, it just doesn't happen. Instead of repairing it, he makes it worse and he just, he just kind of loses it in the moment and soon he's turning and he's punching a hole in the wall only to turn around and see his daughter watching him. He's gone into a tirade, and now he's filled with guilt over that. He can't see his way out. He's frustrated by his situation, and he is seeing red. Can anybody relate this morning? To struggle that happens out there, to struggle that happens in here. I'm encouraged that God longs for us to be free from destructive anger in our life. Let's... let's Let's look at some basics here before we get into our story from Scripture today. Another big point for us this morning is this, that anger is an indicator of our need for greater faith, surrender, and obedience. When you're going through your life, when you're going through your day, and all of a sudden this anger begins to well up within you, you feel it, you feel your heart rate pick up, you feel the sweat beginning you feel the tension mounting. When that is happening, when you feel this out-of-control behavior coming on, it is an indicator. It is the brake light coming on in the car. It is the fuel light coming on in the car to alert you to something going on in your soul. God, in that moment, has something he wants to say to you. God has something he wants you to surrender and God has something he wants you to do. We're going to see through our series here that not all anger is sin. In fact, in Ephesians we read, be angry and do not sin. There's a purpose. It's an indicator. It's to take you somewhere. It's to alert you to something. It's to bring you to greater faith. So today we look in the Bible at one of the first instances of out-of-control anger. Turn with me to Genesis 4. That's where we are today. If you have a Bible app, you can look there. Genesis 4. I'll be reading along in the New King James Version today. If you're looking for 
uh, the version that fits what I'm doing on screen. If you've got your Bible, it's Genesis. It's the very beginning, the fourth chapter in the Bible. The setting is that Adam and Eve have been created by God. It's not a fairy tale story. It's truth. It's Scripture. They are alive on planet Earth. The glory of God has departed from their presence because of their sin. They're now not living as they once were created. The glory of God is not in their presence. They had done their best to try to cover their own sin by sewing together some leaves from a tree. It wasn't enough, so God provided a sacrifice. The Bible says that God provided animal coverings for Adam and Eve. Watch this. God sacrificed an animal so that they might have their shame covered. Hello? I have to wonder if it wasn't a sheep, if it wasn't a lamb. Sacrificed so that their sin might be covered, so that they could once again walk and talk with God. Amen? It's all there. We get to Genesis 4, though, and Adam and Eve are continuing on. They're actually obeying what God told them to do, multiply. So here we read in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Adam and Eve, I'm sorry, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and adults, you know what that word knew means, right? Yeah, you can nod your head. It's okay, this church. And she conceived and bore Cain, their first son. And said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. It's the first time it's ever happened. It had to be quite the experience. Whoa, this is how people are brought into existence? You think about it, the first time. And she gets a young boy. She calls him a man. Verse 2 goes on, it says, Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. And then we get a little background on the difference of these two boys. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. We don't know a lot about their personalities at this point except for their interest. Abel cares for sheep. They've got some sheep. God's provided them. He's the one responsible for caring for them. So I'm sure he sees that they're fed. He sees that they have water. He sees that they're kept safe. He saw that they had time to rest. Abel is a shepherd, hello, to the sheep. This is what he enjoys. But it says Cain was a tiller of the ground. So he works hard, but he works in the dirt. He plants seed. He removes stones and weeds. He plants seeds. He waits, he cares, and he harvests. This is the background on these two boys. Now, what's interesting are some of the dynamics that are happening here because Abel is the second born and Cain is the firstborn. I don't know if you've ever done any reading about the differences between a firstborn child and a second born or third born and fourth born, but I'll tell you this they are different. A firstborn has a different view of life than a secondborn. Not just because one likes keeping sheep and one likes working the ground, but they have a different perspective. For example, firstborns tend to be very 
conscientious, usually pretty careful, usually pretty structured, not always. They can be more cautious. They tend to be achievers. And one of the things that's true about a firstborn is they really long for the acceptance of their parents. Not that second, third, and fourth don't, or fifth, whatever your number might be, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But there's something about a firstborn. There's something about living with mom and dad by yourself for a while. There's something about just being first that makes a connection with them and their parents. They really long to please their parents. Wise parents know how to parent a firstborn with the needs that they have different than a secondborn or thirdborn. A firstborn wants to hear I'm so proud of you. Not that second, third, and fourth don't, or fifth, or six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But there's something about a firstborn. It's like, it's almost like an ache within them. They long to hear it, to know it. And if they feel like they have displeased mom and dad, it does something deep inside to them. If they feel like they can't get the favor of mom and dad, it really does something inside. A firstborn longs to know they are accepted by mom and dad. Now hold on to that. That's going to be important in our story. Secondborns tend to be often more independent thinkers. They're the ones who've had to fend for themselves because firstborns, you know, trying to take everything. They're trying to figure out how can I still have some toys? How can I get some of that food before a firstborn takes it all? They tend to be a little bit more of a risk taker. They tend to be more socially dependent, whereas the firstborn is more parent dependent. They're different. Firstborn, acceptance with parents. Secondborn and beyond, acceptance with peers. Just for our kids, for example, we had five. We got to see all of this in action a lot. We watched it happen for our kids in high school. Brianna uh, wanted to achieve and she didn't have a large circle of friends, but she was achieving and did very well. Truett, our last, just graduated from high school, and Truett was friend to everybody in the whole school. I mean, they knew him and he knew them, and that, you know, he was gone all the time and out socializing and doing stuff and involved, and I want to be involved with this group and this group and this sport and this activity, and he's out there because the social group means a lot to him. It's just some of the differences between firstborn and latterborns. Now, tuck that away. Let's move on back in our story. That'll become important to us. Verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Notice who brought an offering first. It was Cain. Didn't say it was Abel, it was Cain. He brings an offering to God. But what he brings is an offering from the ground. He brings the product of his work. He brings the best of what he has done. He brings it to God as if to say, uh huh, uh huh, see, see what I did? And he brings it to God. All right? It's, it's the work of his hands, it's what he has done provided. It's what he wants to show God as if to say, what do you think? Verse 4, 
Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Abel brings something different. He doesn't bring fruit of the ground. He brings something of the flock that he has been tending. And you might think, well, that's just two different things that they were doing. It's true. But there's something a little different about this offering. No one lost their life when Cain brought some corn, some wheat. No one shed any blood. But when Abel brings his offering, he has to take the life of one in order to bring the sacrifice to God. One is giving up what they were so that Abel might have life. You see what's happening here? He brings an offering that is a picture of the one Lamb of God to come, and he brings, a, he brings an offering that's a picture of the one that was shed for Adam and Eve when they were clothed in the garden. And with this, God's about to begin a class. He's about to teach a lesson. He's about to open a learning session here. Now remember, just, just take this in. Up to this point, the Ten Commandments have not been given. The law in its entirety has not been given. There's no tabernacle. There's no temple. There's no order of the high priests. And God is about to teach some truths. We move on to verse 5. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Uh Uh-oh. Abel brings his offering, and God is pleased. Cain brings his offering, and God is not pleased. He doesn't show any smile or favor. Abel's offering is actually a life shed for sin. Cain's is my best efforts brought to try to impress. And so God is very pleased with Abel's and not so pleased with Cain's. That had to hurt if you were Cain. Not just because his offering wasn't accepted, but he's the firstborn. He's the one who really needs the favor. He's the one who really needs to know that dad is okay, that dad smiles on him, that dad loves him, that dad is pleased, and he brings his own best, and dad says, no, that's not what I'm looking for. Can you imagine the pain, that moment of saying, this is... This is terrible. There's just two of us. We bring our offerings. What's wrong with my offering? How come mine wasn't accepted? Why does he get to have his accepted and I don't? And it becomes a very tense moment as we're about to see. And God is entering into a lesson. Look at this big point before we move on too much further. God will discomfort you in order to reveal to you his glory. Mm. Have you ever been discomforted in your life? Have you ever had an, uh, an occasion rise up where things didn't go like you thought? Where all of a sudden a storm blows in? Where something happens to you that's not fair? And in that moment, God is entering into class time. 
in that moment, God is about to show you and teach you something if you will become the student, if you'll sit there and learn. Let's move on and see what happens in the story. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Yeah, this is it. Cain's experiencing what we talked about. He's had a moment where he has perceived something is wrong here. This is not right. This is not fair. This is unjust. I brought an offering. He brought an offering. Mine should have been accepted just like his. This is not right. And boy, is he angry. The scripture says very angry. And apparently he's not hiding it very well because the Bible says his countenance fell. That's his facial expressions. It became very obvious Cain was upset, right? Have you ever tried to just hide your anger? You know, like, no, I'm okay, really. But everybody knows you're not. That's what's happening here. God sees, God knows, and his countenance, his face, his glow shows. He can tell something's not right here. Now, I want you to remember Anger is an indicator of the need for greater faith, surrender, and obedience. This is a moment that Cain could learn something. This is a moment when God has something he wants to show Cain. Cain, watch this. Cain, it's not about what you do for me. It's about what's been done for you. It's not about the wheat you can grow for me and try to impress me. Cain, that's not what it's all about. Cain, it's about a life shed for you. Cain, I'm trying to teach you something here in this moment, and all you are is angry. When you get angry and you get out of control angry, you're going to miss when God is trying to show you something big. And that's exactly what's happening here for Cain. He is very angry. But I want you to see something of the goodness of God, the grace of God in this moment. Verse 6 says this, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? You know, God is God, and he knows all things. God wasn't asking Cain so that he might find the answer. He already knew. God was asking Cain so Cain would say it back to him and that Cain would know the answer. You know, God will do that sometimes. He'll ask you the obvious so that you'll learn something from it, not because he needs to learn something from it. He knows already. And Cain is very angry, and his countenance falls, and the Lord speaks to him. He doesn't shut him off. He doesn't cast him out at this point. He is approaching him. He comes to him in his own anger, in his moment, in his struggle. When he's hurting, the Lord goes to him, and he speaks to him, and he's trying to bring him back. He's trying to win his heart. Cain, why are you angry? And Cain, in case you can't tell, I see your face. Your countenance has fallen. You see, God pursues us in our deepest pain 
to lead us into our greatest longings. What was it that Cain wanted the most? He wanted the smile of God. And God is trying to help him see the way to it. And God pursues us. I don't care where you are today. You might be hearing this today and say, man, if I'd only heard that about 30 years ago, if I'd only heard that this past Tuesday, if I'd only heard that back when I was 17, it would have helped. But I'm so much further down the road today, I don't think I could go back. The gospel reaches wherever we are. Whether you're four days away, four months away, or four decades away, God returns to say, why are you so angry? Cain's pouting. Cain's silent. There's nothing in the text that tells us that Cain responds at any time. God's the one talking. Cain is silent. And the scripture goes on, and the story says in verse 7 that God said to him, If you do well, will you not be accepted? Mm. Cain, if you would just learn from this moment, if you would just hear me, Cain, if you'd soften your heart, Cain, do you see what God says to him here? If you do well, will you not be accepted? What does a firstborn want? He wants to be accepted. We all want to feel that acceptance from God. And God is trying to teach Cain how you get to it. And he won't even talk to him. He's sulking. He's silent. He's pouting. He's angry. And God is giving him a way back. Cain, if you would do well. Cain, if you would learn in this moment. There's no rejection that's happened. There's no condemnation that's happened yet. But Cain, this is your moment. Do well. Respond to me. Hear me. Receive my love, Cain. Surrender your will in this matter. Cain, you you see this is all about you. You see this injustice, and all you can see is you. You're missing the injustice, Cain. The real injustice happened when a lamb was sacrificed so that your parents could be covered in their sin. The real injustice was what your brother did when he took the life of a lamb and sacrificed it to cover his sin. You're missing it, Cain. You're missing the lamb, and you're making it all about you. When you make it all about you, anger will eat you up. He's totally missing the moment. He's totally missing what God's trying to teach him. Because he's so obsessed with his that's not fair moment. God continues the conversation with him. Cain is still not talking. There's no response. I I don't know what the situation looks like. I don't know if they're face to face. I almost picture Cain over behind some tree, just his arms are crossed, and he's standing there, and he he just keeps stomping his foot, and 
he won't even turn around. That's kind of how I picture it. He won't even look at God who's talking to him. The latter part of verse 7, it says this, And Cain, if you do not do well, if you don't repent, if you don't surrender, if you don't stop looking at yourself in this situation, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. Cain, there's a monster loose today, and he's very close to your house. In fact, he's right outside your door. God wasn't talking about a physical monster outside the door. He was referring to sin. He was referring to what Satan wanted for him. He was referring to a power that was about to destroy him. It was a monster that was ready to pounce. Cain, if you don't do well, if you keep on just listening to your anger instead of listening to me, if you keep refusing to surrender and you keep giving in to your anger, Cain, you're going to end up opening the door. And when you do, there's a monster that's going to come in. And he has already set his sights on you. You're the one he's after. And when you open that door, by continuing in your anger, he's going to come in. And when he comes in, he's going to control you. He's going to dominate you. He will take over your thoughts, your emotions. You will live life seeing red all the time. It's desires for you. That's what's happening in our land today. The door has been opened far too many times. This, this is where abusive personalities are born. Because they keep opening the door to their anger. They won't surrender to God. They won't return to Christ. They won't surrender their will. They just keep listening to their anger. This is what causes people to be filled with rage on the highway. This is what causes people to explode to family and friends. This is what causes people to act out and hurt others. This is what causes people to not have control of their mouth when they're angry. This is what happens to a culture when they have answered the door to anger over and over and over again. Anger looks and all he sees is a welcome mat and just helps himself in. Because a, a culture, a generation has stopped locking the door. They've stopped putting a a lock on the door that says, I will not be angry. I'm going to choose forgiveness. Click. I'm going to choose understanding. Click. I'm going to choose to be merciful. Click. I'm going to choose to surrender my will to God, even though I think this is unjust. I see what he's done for me that's been unjust, and so I surrender to him. Click. If you'll make those locks on your door, you'll keep the monster outside and you'll be at peace on the inside. But a lot of people haven't done that. They just keep opening the door. They, they, hear, they hear the knock and they open it and, and they become a generation today. We've become a generation today that's, that's kind of gotten addicted to this anger. There's something about the emotion and the, the rush of adrenaline that people have got all of a sudden to enjoy. In fact, a generation enjoys it so much 
that they'll go to a movie and they'll turn on the TV, they'll listen to the radio, they'll, they'll, they'll cruise the internet looking for something to be angry at. I want to see somebody else's injustice. I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. I like this rush. I like this pulsating feel of anger. I want to know more about it. I want to know more about this situation. I want to join them in it. Yeah, I'm bitter too. Yeah, I'm angry too. Yeah, I want to do something. And all of a sudden, we become a generation that is addicted to this, addicted to the adrenaline rush. Want more of it. Want to feel it. The monsters come in. Everybody just thinks it's part of the family now. Oh, yeah, that guy, <laughs> he's been here a while. That's just his chair in the corner. He has a lot to say. In fact, you should listen to him. That's where most people have gotten today. They don't keep him outside. They've invited him in. Create a special place in the house for him. Listen to him. Cain, sin lies at the door. His desire is for you. Look what God says next. But you should rule over it. Cain, you don't have to listen to it. You weren't made to. But when we surrender our anger to God and obey, we gain the power to reign in life. You see, this is what God was saying to him. Cain, you don't have to give in to it. You don't have to listen to the knock of the door. You don't have to listen to the growl. You don't have to listen to him. You should rule over it. You should live in such a way that when that knock comes, when that feeling arises, when that sense of injustice is awakened in you, you should be at a place where you rule over it, where you have control. You know how to shut it down. You know how to say no to it. You know how to turn the deadbolt on the door and keep it out. And the Bible says later in the New Testament that when we do this, that when we surrender, we actually gain the power to reign in life. Dan, that's kind of our next point there. Let's go with that. You gain the power to reign in life. Can you imagine walking through life and being at a place where you are actually on top, where you are reigning? You might think, well, that sounds a little arrogant. Well, let me show you a passage from the New Testament. Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall, listen, reign in life by one Jesus Christ. You and I in Christ were made to reign. You weren't made to be a slave of your anger. You aren't made to be a slave of anything but to Christ only. And when you'll surrender your will and surrender to him, you'll reign. You'll be the one over the anger when it comes. You'll know exactly when to go lock the door. You'll know exactly when to get rid of that chair. You'll know exactly when to shut that down because you were created to reign in life. And this is what God was offering to Cain as well. I wish I could say that's how the story ended, that Cain heard God, Cain believed God, Cain surrendered to God, and he was blessed. But that's not what happens. I want you to see the final part of the story today, our last verse. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. It's fascinating that Cain never would talk with God. 
but he saves his words and he goes and talks to Abel. If you don't talk to God and all you talk to is others, you're going to run the risk of what happens here to Cain. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. He opened the door. He let him in. He let the monster in. He gave in to the anger. He didn't shut it out. He didn't turn the deadbolt. He listened, and he let him in. And that anger rose up within him. All he could think about was his injustice, what his brother did to him. It's not fair. It's not right. He got his sights on his brother, and he got his sights off of God. He saw what he had done, but he forgot what he had done. He saw his sacrifice and was jealous and didn't see his sacrifice that should have humbled him. It should have brought him to a place of surrender to say, God, I've so blown it. I've so seen this thing wrong. I'm so caught up in what happened to me and Abel. I was so jealous. I couldn't even see what you'd already done for me. You made a way for me to be loved by you, to know acceptance, and I let anger have its way. And when he got out with his brother, it just became a voice that was louder and louder until he finally just killed his brother. He killed his brother because of his anger. That's what happens when we don't surrender. When we refuse to surrender, we open our heart to being enslaved by sin. Sadly, this is where our culture is today. Enslaved. Scripture has a lot to say about anger. It's got some good counsel about uh, what happens when people get enslaved in it. In fact, there's some pretty straight warnings. I just want to tell you one today, and we're going to talk about so much more over the next eight weeks. But let me just tell you today, if you are an employer looking for employees, we're about to look at a passage that will help you. If you are a young girl looking for a young man, I'm about to read a passage that's going to help you. If you're a young man looking for a young girl, I'm about to read a passage that's going to help you. If you're in a place today where you're looking for someone to do some business dealings, if you're in a place today where you're looking for someone that could be a close friend to you, here's a very important verse. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Here it is. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Girls, don't get caught up in how good-looking that guy is outwardly until you've gotten caught up in how good-looking he is internally. If he's an angry guy, if he can't control his temper, I could just about promise you there's some other things he can't control either. If you're looking for an employee and he's angry, watch out. If you're looking for a friend 
watch out. Anger is dangerous. As we begin this series, we come to the end today. There's really one lesson that we've got to all get today. And here it is. There is glory in surrender. I don't doubt that you've had some things in your life that have been painful. That's everybody in this room, right? I don't doubt that there have been some things that have happened to you that were not fair. That's everybody in this room. I don't doubt that someone's taken advantage of you, someone's hurt you, someone you trusted. That's everybody in this room. If you listen to anger, you'll find yourself enslaved by it. If you'll surrender and say, God, this isn't what I intended. This hurt. This devastating. But I'm going to surrender my will and choose your will. Because you've got something bigger for me to learn. If there's a moment in your life, if there's a place in your life where you're angry today, that is the area where God is wanting to show you his glory. If you're sitting here today and you think, well, I want to surrender. I just don't know the areas that God's called me to surrender. It's the area where you struggle with the greatest anger. So today, we begin a series at a place of surrender. We choose to surrender our will for God's will. We choose to listen to what he says is right, not what we say is right. So would you bow your heads this morning? As we begin this series, may it begin with a heart that says, God, I surrender my will to you. I have been hurt. I've been offended. I've been taken advantage of. But more importantly, I've been listening to the monster at the door. He keeps trying to get me to open it. In fact, I've opened it for him on many occasions. But today, I hear you. I hear you telling me you don't, I don't have to listen to him anymore. That I can actually shut that door. I can listen to you. I can surrender my will. Father, this morning, we do come to pray and thank you for providing for our sin in a way that was unjust. The righteous taking the sentence of the sinner so that the sinner could live like the righteous. There's no greater injustice in all of eternity than that. And may that fill our hearts today. And may we never lose sight of it. And may we instead be a people who surrender anytime we feel anger welling up in us. Today, this morning, 
We surrender to you, God, that area, that specific area where we have felt injustice. We surrender our will in it to you and say it's not, not what I will, but what you will to be done. And we'll obey you. We'll forgive. We'll show mercy. And we'll obey what you've called us to do. I thank you that there's a place at the cross for this kind of surrender. It's where we come today, Father. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning.